Welcome to Thought Studio, an intellectual space to confront inconspicuous and sometimes insidious aspects of our society. In this podcast, the scope of our explorations is limitless, from domestic to public spheres, from cells to galaxies, crossing the border between physical and metaphysical realms. So join us as we ask big questions and offer unique perspectives in the hopes of offering clarity and insight. In this episode, Jason will be looking at the Americanization of Chinese music. From Michael Jackson's thriller in the 80s to Kanye West's melodic autotune rap in the late 2000s, it is undeniable that American music has shaped the global music industry. However, if you grew up in a Western society, chances are you would have never seen how American music, or even music in general, is portrayed on the other side of the world. So, what really separates music in America versus a country on the other side of the world like China, in a time of modern-day commercialization in the music industry? To truly grasp this question, we first have to appreciate that much of Asia was culturally untouched by America until the events of the Second World War. Even then, with exceptions of countries like South Korea and Japan, countries like China who refused to advocate for democracy were stubborn to open up their economy to the rest of the world. Therefore, most of Chinese music for much of the 20th century was composed of traditional folk music and involved instruments such as Erhu or Guzheng. But this all changed when the Chinese opened their economy in the 1980s. However, one particular region that was once part of China had experienced an entirely different reality while China was hibernating, being closed off to the rest of the world. This region was Hong Kong. Hong Kong was particularly interesting because much of its population had a Chinese background, despite its market moving at a pace with the rest of the world. The 20th century music was composed of a style influenced by Japan, originated by the takeover from the Sino-Japanese War in 1941, as well as Western rock, mainly influenced by the Beatles. Ultimately, when Hong Kongese artist Zhang Mingming performed My Chinese Pride during the widely broadcast annual Chinese Lunar New Year show in 1984, the first form of Chinese pop was introduced to the mass Chinese mainland audience. Despite this, the first significant sign of Americanization in Chinese music happened on the same stage three years later in 1987 when Fei Xiang performed Fire in the Winter. Fei Xiang 
此，当你悄悄走进我身边，火光照亮了我。Fei Xiang, being a Chinese American, merged the two cultures together. While the song was in Chinese, everything from the '80s American rock energy to how he was dressed in a red tuxedo, oversized trousers, and Afro-like hairstyle can be seen reminiscent of Michael Jackson. Many Chinese, especially from my parents' generation, still remember tuning into the show for the first time and being introduced to the concepts of rock, as the song still remains iconic to this day. As time progressed into the 90s, the music entertainment industry in Hong Kong only continued to expand further into mainland China. Different bands began to form, being influenced by various American bands. Most notably, Beyond was deemed the most popular group at that time, to the extent where it seemed like their song "Love You." Could arguably replace the Hong Kongese anthem. In contrast, something much closer to present-day Chinese pop would be Nicholas Tsai. Who actually previously attended St. George's in Vancouver at one point, and Jackie Chan, who later on collaborated with Beyonce. Most importantly, this was also a time when the Chinese were able to influence America. Although there were minute influences in terms of music, Hong Kongese movie stars such as Bruce Lee, Jet Li, and Jackie Chan were seen as Hollywood megastars by Americans, establishing the presence of Chinese entertainment in the West. Although Hong Kongese music was significant to the present day. It soon started to diminish halfway through the 2000s. We have to understand that many Chinese audiences did not enjoy heavy bass and drums and a fast-paced style in Hong Kong, since the majority of Chinese music was smooth and easy, especially in the undeveloped northern areas. Therefore, another region in China similar to Hong Kong would dictate the music industry: Taiwan and also Singapore, which shared much of the same history with China up until the early 1900s. But early American pop and R&B. This type of style was built on top of the foundation of European classical music, which is previously valued highly in China, and was able to relate to most Chinese audiences as it had a more catchy and melodic tune, and also sang in Mandarin instead of Cantonese. Although this type of style existed in the 90s, it did not gain enough traction for the same reason why it was so hard for American music to be introduced into the mainland, since China still had political tensions with the U.S. Which Taiwan was heavily involved in, this resulted in many new Taiwanese artists such as Ah Mei and David Tao to be drowned out by the Hong Kongese. However, one Taiwanese artist in particular entered the music scene in the 2000s and dominated the music market to the present day. The name Jay Chou created a presence in every Chinese from elderly to most Chinese born in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, having a childhood marked by his songs. Ironically. Jay had very little American influence from his childhood. In fact, he knew little English despite growing up in Taipei. However, this is probably one reason why he is still so welcomed by the Chinese, as he essentially had an ideal background from a political standpoint. His style wasn't really one particular genre, but a comprehensive combination of all areas in music. If an individual wanted to hear a Chinese love song, Jay Chou pretty much established his own style of love song. Give me the direction for more of this.
He also has music for moms and dads with songs like Listen to Mom. Other generations can also enjoy music like Blue and White Porcelain and Far Away, bringing back traditional Chinese music, bridging the gap between two whole generations of Chinese music by incorporating traditionalist elements into C pop. In addition, rap can also be heard from his influence from Japanese fast rap music. If an individual wanted classical music, Jichao was established on European classical music, learning piano since the age of four, establishing himself as one of the most skilled artists in terms of piano training, later dedicating a whole album to Chopin. Somebody wanted to hear rock? Well, Jay also has that in store. His later American influence was established as the second Asian on the Times Magazine cover and playing Kato alongside Seth Rogen in the movie Green Hornet, previously played by Bruce Lee in 1966. Therefore, it is undeniable that the Chinese music scene is following in the footsteps of Jay Chow, presenting a diversified style and top-notch quality while redefining longevity in music. Although Jay was able to attain his status in China, he is a prime example of China's filtration process with foreign artists. Despite Jay being popular in both Hong Kong and Taiwan in 2000 immediately after his first album, he was practically non-existent till 2003 for mainland audiences. This was because he was never signed to a large label and was not heavily involved in, in vast commercialization in the music industry. This inhibited his expansion into mainland founded on marketing through big entertainment businesses. However, his great sense of morals, recognition for traditional Chinese music, and a Chinese Rex to riches story ultimately convinced China that Jay Chao was the ideal image for Chinese music. This really says a lot about how music in China is reflective of their political ideology that focuses on all of the citizens, especially celebrities, to have a great brand image almost like a role model for the country as well as expression for nationalism. As a matter of fact, these factors only became more apparent in the music industry as time went on, entering the 2010s. Unlike a liberal democracy like America, where every new innovation is challenged by legislative laws and criticized by the public, China, along with other Asian countries, have the ability to make whatever works into reality. Ironically, these ideas were all concepts from Americanization that were never carried out. 
A perfect example of this is the involvement of large labels and how they facilitate artists into becoming megastars. Stars like Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift are typical examples of Western artists who are inhibited by their full potential. On the other side of the world, artists like Jay Chow are being marketed to the extent where he is a singer, movie and MV director, actor, reality TV star, influencer, restaurant owner, basketball player, and magician. This type of mass marketing also opened the opportunity to publicize China's own artists. The Chinese took the Hong Kongese and Taiwanese music both impacted by Americanization and eventually perfected their own version of Chinese music. Since most companies are state-owned in China, it was easy for China to implement these ideas. These math labels work hard to train kids from young ages, teaching them skills such as vocals, instrumentals, dance, and other relevant skills related to entertainment. To Americans, this might seem like industry plants who are manipulated by companies to have their music massively marketed. However, China does this process vastly differently, training highly skilled individuals, hoping that they would eventually one day have a place in the music industry. An example of this would be the TF Boys, a boy band of three, were brought together by the label to work together for years before rising to stardom. Despite this, this process was brought to a whole nother level by South Korea's K-pop industry, who were so good at repeating this process, they were mass-producing artists to the extent where it would seem like new artists rose out of nowhere every day. China developed a system, much like how tech companies are competing for new innovative products. Labels are racing to develop new artists into finished products ready to be embraced by the public. A downside to this is that there is less variety in the music market because all artists are producing the same type of music that will attract the same audience. In this case, love songs and TikTok songs. Nevertheless, China still strives to keep its values of creating an equal platform, still providing regular people an opportunity to restart them. Similar to the American show The Voice, China created their own version called Sing China, which anybody can enter, intending on recruiting the best singers in China having four well-established artists as judges. However, all of this meant that it was harder for foreign artists to expand into China, as China became in favor of its own artists as well as particular genres. Much like the increasing terrorists placed on American goods, it has been increasingly hard for Western artists to tap into the audience in China of 1.8 billion people. Although artists like Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber, Selena Gomez, and Taylor Swift do make some publicity in China, they are only restricted to hosting their live performances in places like Macau and Hong Kong, regions where Chinese government has less control in. In addition to this, two major music streaming services, QQ Music and NetEase Music, are all owned by Tencent, a company known for working with the Chinese government. As a result, they could essentially control the filtration of music completely. There is just no reason to support foreign artists when domestic artists are selling out 50,000 seat stadiums. Similar to these foreign artists, certain genres were also under pressure in China. Rap has been specifically under a lot of tension legislatively very recently. Previously, older generations in China certainly did not enjoy the explicit and aggressive styles of American rap. However, Americanization soon influenced the younger generations in how they perceived rap. Most of the younger Chinese didn't associate rap with its negative reputation for drugs and crimes. Instead, they viewed it just like any other genres of music. Despite this, the Chinese government has been sensitive to lyrics about drugs and other negative messages in foreign rap songs entering China. Therefore, many of those songs from Migos or Drake 
are censored in China, and the few who do manage to make it through the platforms like QQ Music are seen significantly overshadowed by the marketing compared to other foreign singers. Although various domestic rap artists are growing in size due to the popular demand, none of them have been able to reach the same status as their pop counterparts. This really goes to show how much favoritism and prioritization is able to establish the identity within the Chinese music community. The future for mainland Chinese music shows a lot of great potential, as it is still in its early stages. However, it also remains uncertain because no other cultures who produce music on the same massive scale are dealing in the same legislative and political environment as China. From a Western perspective, it is easy to criticize that China stole American music in order to find its own success by re-rendering the style inside their own political system. However, we do have to remember that all forms of music are in the same way passed on from one another. Although China is successful in captivating its audience of 1.8 billion people instead of a self-sustaining ecosystem, it still has much room to improve in order to attain the same status as Americanization. Nevertheless, like the Chinese economy, we will have to wait to see what it has to offer to the rest of the world in the near future.